the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by the very casual, very sporty brains of the operation, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you? I am doing fantastic, Christian. Yeah, I'm sporty, casual. I'm headed out for a run in the mountains after our after our conversation today. Run in the mountains. Yeah. A little bit smoky out there. It's been a little smoky. Any issues with the smoke or is it okay? I think it's okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's in my house or out there and, you know, I got to keep my, my heart in good health and it bothers my eyes a little bit, but uh, I don't know if you're noticing it kind of your eyes get a little irritated. Yeah, I've noticed it. My wife and I go for walks in the morning and the sky is a very interesting look, you know, Sometimes it's really pretty if the sun is just about to break over the mountains and you get these heavenly rays <laughs> dispersing through the through the uh, through the atmosphere. It's really really pretty, uh, but not not the healthiest of air. But uh, no. okay, still giga fires going in California. It's just really really uh, upsetting and uh, sad. But you know we got to keep got to keep moving forward. I'm not a firefighter, so. Other than being careful with uh, with the resources that I have when when I go out, my wife and I are actually going camping up in the mountains this this weekend. You are. So, uh, whereabouts are you going? I think we're going to go up to the Uintas. Oh, that sounds amazing! It might yeah. be chilly up there. It will be. So I, I'm I'm prepared for that. We, you know, we're gonna we're gonna tent camp, but I think I'm gonna get. Um, I have a kerosene heater. I'm gonna get that all set up. Uh, you know, we've got warm sleeping bags and stuff, but we, we've got this new Dutch oven that we're going to use. And it has, it, you, you can make pizza in it. You can turn it upside down. It has like a grill and a flat side it has, you know, uh, it's almost like a, a wok with a little flatter and we're really excited. So we've got, we've got our menu all planned out. And one of the nights we're going to, we're going to make pizza. And then for one meal, we're going to catch fish and, and uh, make a stir fry. Oh, that sounds awesome. Pizza in a Dutch oven. Yeah. That sounds really, really intriguing. You have to let me know how that is because uh, my mouth is already watering. It's only eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning here. We're talking about pizza and maybe it's a little bit early, but I have to say it sounds really, really delicious. I'll, I'll send some pictures. Yeah. We, we just got this new Dutch, Dutch oven at Orson Gigi. You know, I don't know if you've heard of that, but um, those of you outside of Utah, it's a, it's a great place to go find kitchen paraphernalia and all kinds of cooking things. It was, you know, they have lots of high end, but this is just a regular lodge, which is a a brand that makes these cast iron Dutch ovens. Yeah. We have some lodge cast iron skillets and we love them. I have a Dutch oven that I got from the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic winter games. So it's all got the logo of the Salt Lake 2002 games. Cool but I've never used it because I don't want to ruin it because I'm thinking, well, it's, you know, it's this cool Dutch oven. So I've had this Dutch oven for, I don't know, 18 plus years. I've never used it. Come on. We need to use it. It's, I mean, what's the point? Well, who's who's enjoying it? My attic is enjoying it. quite. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Oh, well. 
we we love Dutch ovens, so we'll do a a mountain man hash breakfast. We'll do, I mean, we'll cook, we'll cook in our Dutch ovens every time. We just did a family reunion uh up in up by Flaming Gorge. I think I told you about that, but right. we, we did a ton of Dutch oven cooking. We have two others that we've used for years and years. And they are they're amazing. They're fun. The kids just love them. You know, the food is is fun. And and there's ways to make them easier. Now they have like tinfoil linings and paper linings to make it very easy to to care for. Uh, so it's a lot easier to clean up. That's correct. All right. Well, until we go camping, I guess we ought to be focused on the task at hand now. Let's do. A couple of weeks ago, I guess it was a little bit more than a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we had a conversation about analyzing troubleshooting, fixing performance problems, team performance problems in an organization. And we got partway through the Robert Mager, Peter Pipe uh, flowchart, but the discussion was so awesome that we never made it all the way through the flowchart. Actually, we, I don't think we even made it a third of the way through the flowchart. I think we got to number four out of how many? <laughs> I don't know how many there are, but, uh, but uh, yeah, we've got a ways to go. We talked about fast fixes uh, last time, setting expectations, providing feedback, um, maybe fixing a process if you can in a very simple way or provide the resources or tools that are needed. But uh, now we come up to a big point and that's managing the consequences. So I'm gonna share my screen here so we can see where we stopped and where we're gonna be going today. Let me do that here quickly. All right. Okay. You see that? I do. Yes. Okay, great. Let me zoom in on this a little bit here. So this is the diagram. This is the process flow that we went through. We started at the top, figured out how we would define a problem, determine whether it was worth solving. And then some of the fast fixes that we could use to solve the problem. And in some of those fixes, as we talked about last time, Spencer, people might need a little bit of help understanding how they can do this better, how they can set manage expectations better, how they can provide feedback in a more effective way so that they don't um, adversely in it inadvertently adversely impact their organization. And that's an area where you can really help them. And this is another area we're going to talk about today where I think you can provide a huge amount of help. And that's really managing the consequences. So are the consequences appropriate? Are we rewarding positive behavior? Are we punishing positive behavior? Are we promoting negative behavior? Are, we, are there any consequences at all for any kind of behavior? I'm really eager to dive into this with you, Spencer, because I know you got a lot of experience in this area. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, for those of you who are listening, we don't script this. This is just uh, coming off the off the cuff here. And and uh, I think consequences are something that is a challenge for most leaders and managers. And it's not managed well a lot of the time. And just to start the conversation off, you know, there are people that 
really struggle to give positive feedback, right? They, they have, they're uncomfortable actually receiving accolades. And so, you know, my wife and I just had a conversation about this the other day and, and she couched it in the terms of, of love language. And for me, one of the love languages is, is, is recognition is appreciation. I mean, I, I, I enjoy that. Not everybody does that. She doesn't. Right. But because she doesn't, it's not easy for her to give because she doesn't want it's just, it's superfluous. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's a waste. It's, it's just, it's just not necessary. We should just do things and, and for the intrinsic good of, of doing them. And so, and that there's not a, there's not a problem with that perspective. It's just a different perspective. So many managers based on their behavioral profile struggle letting people know when they do a good job. And if you have someone that is highly extroverted, they're not getting consequences for doing the good job. We have to reward people for doing the things that we want them to do. Some people have the attitude, well, that's what I pay you for. You, you just get to do that. I'm not going to reward you any further by recognizing you for just doing your job. That should be reward enough. What do you think about that? That's so, so we're, I mean, we're going to, there's lots we get to talk about, but I'm just talking about positive consequences. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I remember doing work in the Middle East and we were having some issues in preparing for a major event that was going to be held there. We had a lot of uh, expats. So people that weren't from the country, they were out of country coming in a lot of Westerners coming in to, to do the work and the organizing committee leadership, which was local, wasn't really providing them the support that they needed in order to do their job. And so the people got a little frustrated. And when those frustrations were raised to the leadership, they asked the question, which is the exact same question you just asked, which, well, I'm paying them. So why are they complaining? They get paid well. I don't understand. Why are they not happy? We're paying them. And, and, uh, and they didn't realize that it's, it's not just the compensation that, that uh, can determine one's happiness or lack of happiness, satisfaction in the job. There are many other elements at play. And I'm wondering, uh, Spencer, in your experience, um, what you have seen with the clients that you've been working with or in your own personal experience as a leader where you felt like positive consequences or positive behavior wasn't, uh, wasn't being rewarded. Well, I, I, I think that happens a lot. I mean, I, I, I know it happens a lot. I talk it every day about, you know, you talked about, I just talked about a moment ago, how some people want a pat on the back. Another positive consequence is not necessarily public recognition, but private confirmation that you're on the right track. Even though I'm paying you well, there are some people that have such a pride in, in, you know, their, their craftsmanship or their work that they want to make sure that they're providing exactly what you want. And so they're wanting to deliver at a high level just because uh, a, they have anxiety of, uh, of not meeting expectations or being wrong or, or not doing the right things. And so silence in this area can be interpreted as 
I'm doing something wrong or I'm not being appreciated. And so in the absence of information, what will happen a lot of times with my clients is they start making up a story in their mind about, well, my boss doesn't care about me or, or, or they create a, um, just in the absence of information, they create their own reality of what's happening and why they're not being communicated with or why the information is not, is that they're doing the right job or the right things is not being, um, is not being shared with them. And that creates all kinds of, of problems. And you start having then uh, communication that's not effective. Uh, they go talking to someone else, like, you know, I'm not hearing from them and, or uh, they must be, you know, they, they, they must be poor managers or they must, you know, they must not like me or not only that, but they must not be effective or they're incompetent. And so now you start having destructive conversation about members of your team that aren't based in reality. And that's just from not having communication and letting people know how they're doing. So a, a reward for good behavior and effort. If you don't, if you don't take the time to talk to your people, it can actually backfire. They can, they can be dissatisfied and leave. So there are actually consequences of not rewarding people for doing a good job. And I'm not talking about monetary rewards, Christian. I'm just talking about recognition and recognition can be public or it can be private. And that will be very different based on the person that you are leading and managing. And you need to know the difference. What, how, how do they like to be recognized and how do they like to be told uh, that they're doing a good job? And what's not helpful, Christian is, Hey, great job. Pat on the back, Christian, you know, you did a good job with that, uh, you know, with that project. What did you do? Well, here's, here's where you were succeeding. I like to give feedback in a very simple way. Here's what you did well. And here's where you could do a little bit better. Right. So, so a consequence for a good job could just be recognizing what people did well so that they will do that again and again. And that's, I mean, I, I think that's the first level of discussion. Yeah, I, I'm going to give you a, an example from, and this is, this is a silly example. And it's not necessarily a professional example, but in, in, in church, uh, I was called to be the stake employment specialist. So this is a long time ago. This is probably, I don't know, 15, yeah, more than 15 years ago. Good. So anybody listening wouldn't know who it is. Yeah. And I'm not saying this to be critical of anyone who was involved uh, in the organization at that time. But when I was called, I, I felt like, uh, you know, this is something I need to take seriously and I need to do a good job. And so I went to all of the meetings and everything. And I worked very closely with the the uh, employment specialists that were in the individual congregational units, which we call wards. And uh, so I worked with them to see if their local congregations had any needs and what we could do to help them. At the end of each month, I put together a pretty detailed report and I would put this report in the inbox of the presidency of the stake. I did this for six months and I never heard anything from the stake and they never met with me or anything and it's okay. And then after about six months, I was having a conversation with one of them 
And I happened to mention these reports. And he said, oh, you know, I've seen those reports there, but I've never looked at them. So I thought, well, I guess I don't need to be doing these reports anymore. So I stopped. And, uh, and, and that's okay. It's not something that they uh, explicitly asked for. It was just something that I was doing to help give them some visibility on what was going on in the stake in our area, in the area of unemployment. And, um, and they just never looked. And so you, I were, you were giving effort. In other words, you were, you were creating, uh, you know, a, a, a product or, you know, a report going the extra mile to, to help the leaders make good decisions. Yeah. And so, and, and I don't begrudge them because they have a lot on their plate. And right. so it's not something that's meant to, to, I don't mean to put, put anyone in a, in a, in a bad light or a critical light. It wasn't something that they asked for. It wasn't something they expected. So they didn't really view it as a priority. I thought myself that I was doing something that might be helpful to, to give them some more information on about what's going on in the stake when it comes to unemployment. But they didn't see it that way. And after six months, I realized it wasn't important to them. So it must not be important to me. So I stopped. And I wonder how often that happens in organizations and workplaces where people come up with something that they might think is innovative or important, and they do a lot of work on it and they elevate it and they just don't get any feedback at all. <laughs> and, and then you realize, oh, well, I guess the management doesn't care. So I'm going to move on. I wonder yeah, if I, I should just, stop this uh, sharing so we can see you talking. I think I'm going to do that. No, no, I think, yeah, whatever you want. I, I think that that's a great example of of how we create engagement, and that what happened in in the church also happens in our organizations when we when we don't recognize someone, and it's it it, it costs nothing other than a conversation and. We need to be having conversations as we have discussed over and over again on this, on this podcast, because we need to be able to have those human connections with our team and what a great way to do it when there's a consequence for good behavior, we want them to do more. And if it's something that's not necessary, let them know, right? You know what? Hey, so appreciate the report. Um, but that's not necessary. You can just report to us on a quarterly basis at, at such and such a meeting. On the other hand, wow, that really makes things easy. I could just take a glance at that and see, hey, we've got a problem. And, and uh, that's made my life so much easier. Thank you for that. Keep doing that if that's not too much of a problem. So grateful for you, uh, Christian, for, for putting that report together. I mean, that took 10 seconds, right? Oh, yeah. 10 seconds, 10 seconds. Now, I've got a question for you, Spencer, when it comes to this. We've been talking about this so far at an individual level, a kind of one-on-one -on -one making a connection. Yes. That is, that is incredibly important. What about the macro level in an organization? Are there certain policies or processes that should be put in place to help manage consequences appropriately in an organization with your team? You know, that, that's a great question. And, um, you know, just because we're talking off the cuff, I mean, it's, I think one of those is just how you manage your, your core values. If at a macro level, if you do not make decisions in alignment with what you say is important to your organization, you will create all kinds of negative consequences. Um, I'll, I'll give you one example of, of an organization that most of us have heard of here in the United States called Southwest airlines, right? One of their values is, 
is humor, right? I mean, they believe in, in humor and, and having a fun environment for their employees and, and by extension, some of their, <clears throat> their, their customers, they want to create a, a, a good place. And, and they're a company that has, they receive hundreds of resumes every day. You know, when they have an opening at Southwest, they, there'll be thousands of, of resumes just for that over a period of time. But every day they receive just unbelievable amounts of resumes. And, and so they're able to, and they created that by, that's a consequence of them living in alignment <clears throat> with their values, creating a, a culture where people want to be, and they're attracting people in alignment with those core values that have that fun spirit that, that have that giving nature. Right. And so what happened was, they hired an IT director. You think, well, we, we've got to have somebody that's got great IT skills. Well, of course, that's that's a prerequisite, right? But they looked at the the track record, the the resume of this individual was stellar, and so they they hired him. And you know, people welcome this new guy. I was so glad to have you here at Southwest. Isn't it great? You know, what a great place to work, and. Um, <laughs> And after the, I think the first or the second day, the the VP of HR went to this HR director, I mean, this IT uh, director and said, you know, how's it going so far? And he says, you know what? Um, it, it's really frustrating. I can't get any work done. Everybody stops and talks to me. And um, it's just, you know, I, I really need to be able, there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. They fired him the next day. And the reason is, is because this individual did not fit with the culture that they were creating. And if the word ever got out that they're in an environment that doesn't live in alignment with who they say they are, they won't have thousands of resumes for every open job. People aren't fighting to get into that company anymore because they don't live what they, what they say on their values. They, they're, they're not, there's, there's not congruence. And a consequence of you having your core values on the wall, let's say their integrity, right? And, or, uh, and you don't make decisions that are integrous, people are going to start to recognize that you don't, you, you, you're not who you say you are. And so they're not going to live, you know, they, they're not going to care. They're going to stop creating the report, like you just said. And so that's a consequence at a macro level of not living in alignment with, uh, with policy or values that are stated in an organization. Love that example, Spencer. In the flow chart, after you get through the consequences, there's a whole section on skills. And one of the questions in the skills area is: does the person does the person have the potential to change? If you held a gun to their head, I know that's a really terrible metaphor. Could they actually do what you want them to do? And if the answer is no, then you got to replace the person. And it yeah. took. Southwest less than a day to figure that out. You know what? This guy's not the, he's not going to fit. And so let's go ahead and cut our losses. You know, you can really have both, right? You can have someone that, that fits with your culture and, and what you want. Um, but so often companies are under pressure when they have to hire, right? Because, you know, there's an opening. So everyone is, I mean, I, I remember talking to an editor for a magazine out of Missouri and they were shorthanded. Uh, you know, they'd lost an editor or something like that. And so they hadn't replaced that 
that editor for a year. And this one editor that I was talking about was considering quitting because they, they had just so much of a burden. Whenever we lose somebody in our team, everybody else has to fill in the gap. Right. And, and so they're working, you know, longer and, and with the, for the same reward. And so it's hard when you have to fill that, that gap. And sometimes we just like, uh, you know, we gotta, we gotta fill it as quickly as possible. But if you're not careful about making a decision that's going to have long-term uh, effects or consequences, then, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a situation like this that that's adverse, but Southwest is a great example of them recognizing that they quickly made a dis- decision and they've got to find the right person. And maybe there's just not time to, to, to reform everybody on your roster right now. I'm somebody who believes that people can change, but they have to want to change Christian. And sometimes with your organization, you have to decide, is it, you know, is everybody else's well-being worth risking while we reform this one individual? I mean, I had that situation at a company that, that I ran, you know, I made the mistake of actually keeping an individual that, and part of it was out of fear. So here's another consequence of, of bad behavior, right? This was a person that was disruptive to our culture, but was a top sales producer. And at the time during the last recession, um, capital was a, a premium and we needed, we thought this person's sales and we actually moved him out of the office at a time when we were normally in the office it was a, a, let's get him remote right now. Most people are working remote. So we said, if we could get him out of the office, then maybe he won't have such a toxic influence on, on the organization. And I really tried to, to work with this individual and, and, and save them. They've been with the company for years and years and years, good person at heart. But um, I think that there was an overall negative impact on the entire culture. My initiatives were undermined by this individual. And if I had to do it again, I would have gotten rid of them much faster. That's actually a consequence of not making uh, you know, tough decisions sooner like Southwest did, I experienced and, and I actually had uh, left that company because my initiatives, my strategies weren't, weren't successful while I was there. They're successful and they're being implemented now that I'm gone. <laughs> but at the time that toxic individual was, was a big road, was a big roadblock. Well, I think you've given us a pretty good example of a situation where negative behavior receive some kind of positive reward, you know, and and no no, no negative consequences. (laughs) Yeah. And no negative, no negative consequences. And that's a challenge in organizations to deal with. And we are all familiar with people in organizations who seem to Brown nose their way up, or they're, they're very good at talking themselves out of situations or making excuses that upper management buys and, and they're okay with it. And you look at them and like, how is this, how are they getting rewarded for, for not performing, but they find ways to do it. And I'm just curious in your experience working with organizations, how can you, how can you help them so that they can identify uh, these gaps between the consequences and the performance? Because I see, I seem to see it everywhere, everywhere I go, I see organizations, sometimes they can be very political. And if people uh, are very political by nature, then they seem to thrive in those kinds of organizations, even though they may not be necessarily contributing positively to the overall profitability or performance of the organization. I mean, 
What do you do in those kinds of situations to help people align the consequences to performance? Well, first of all, that, that's a great question. I think, first of all, they have to realize that, that there's a problem that, um, you know, this is actually a whole podcast I'd like to talk about. Um, I, I, I use a tool, it's called a team diagnostic. And you can do, you can do it on the whole organization. You can do it on a intact team. And I think, you know, I, I have worked with lots of teams and one of the ways I've helped them very quickly is to diagnose the gap that you're talking about. And you can have in this, it uses this diagnosis uses a model. Okay. So it uses a model of measuring how productive the team is and how, how sustainable their productivity is, which is the culture, right? And let's call that positivity. That's what Daniel Goleman calls positivity, right? That that's the emotional intelligence quotient. He says, you know, the, the fundamental task of leadership is to create a, a positive reservoir of, of emotion where people want to go that extra mile, give you those reports that maybe didn't ask for, right? That's, that's what allows the sustainable activity and productivity. So we measure seven elements of, of uh, productivity and seven elements of positivity. And we can get a very clear picture with several graphs on how they're doing. And let's say that they have predominantly an organization that is highly productive, but low positive. This is a meritocracy, right? We're just all about the grind. Well, that's not sustainable because people will eventually burn out. There's lots of competition, right? There's looking over your shoulder. It's, um, there's not a lot of collaboration. It's, you know, I got to get my numbers. And there's actually a time in every organization where that, where that, where it's appropriate to be in that quadrant, right? For example, the end of the month, you've got to finish all the reports, you know, you've been in accounting, right? Sometimes you got times of the year, you got, uh, uh, public accountants and CPAs that, that uh, certain times of the year, they're working a lot of hours. That's the grind. It's just all about productivity, but you can't sustain that all year. And an organization that, that lives in that quadrant will burn out, but maybe you have a project didn't driven deadline that everyone has to get all in on, but then somehow the valve, the pressure valve has to be released. Well, a lot of executives fear the opposite of that, where you have high positivity, but low productivity. And that's a problem too, Christian, right? Because it's not sustainable. We love to be together. There's camaraderie. We have fun. But we're not willing to challenge each other. We're really not willing to go the extra mile. Again, not sustainable. Of course, the worst is low, low. You know, if you have low productivity, low positivity, you're out of business very, very quickly. So we want to get to high, high. It's hard to get there. But we figure out where the team is now. And what's nice about it, Christian, is it gets everybody's perspective and when you reveal the data to everyone and not just one person's opinion saying, well, I think that the team is this or that or the other, we get a range of what's the, you know, what's the highest uh, in terms of productivity and where are we the lowest? And we can really start to focus on what are the behaviors that are holding our productivity back and focus on those and begin to close that gap. And we can look at, you know, what part of, of our positivity, maybe we, we, maybe we don't do conflict well, or maybe we have a lack of trust right now that, that that's going on, or we have, um, you know, in productivity, we have decision-making problems. We're not effective at making decisions. We're poor at communication, whatever those, those things are, we can identify and work on them and begin to close that gap very, very quickly. And doing it with a team is better than doing it with just one individual. Listen, I'm an executive coach. 
but I'm also a certified team performance coach. And when you focus on the entire team, you can get behavior to change very, very quickly because you can't have people doing he said, she said, or operating in isolation. You get to address the problems as a team so that people can, it's like right now as a country, right? We have a problem and you and I have talked about this with some of our guests about, you know, racism in our, in our country. We have some people that are saying it's not a problem, get over it. And other people are just saying, you know, it's a problem. We can't, but we're in two separate camps. We have red States and blue States. There's gotta be a way to get people in the same room talking about it so that we can, we can move forward more effectively. And that's what this process does. Well, when it comes to these consequences and what you just drafting off what you just said there, which was very very important, Spencer, um, it's the notion of fairness. I think people in organizations want to feel like they've been treated fairly and, uh, and, and so acknowledged, you know, they want to acknowledge that there's a problem, right? Just like some of us in our country right now want to acknowledge that there's been unfairness. They, that's, that's exactly what you're talking about. That's, that's right. So when it comes to organizations, you know, coming back to the compensation thing, uh, we've talked a lot about of non-compensation related items that can help people manage consequences. They're very important. Compensation is something that may be more visible in an organization and people use it as a measuring stick. And, and there are ways that people might feel like they are being untreated. They are being treated unfairly from a compensation perspective you know, what are some of the issues that you've seen with organizations that have implemented certain compensation and benefit schemes that end up uh, inadvertently promoting unfairness and uh, causing issues in organizations? Christian, you're putting me on the spot here, man. How am I supposed to remember all this stuff? Uh, I, I just happened to have an example from a conversation I had Friday. Um, but uh, it's hard for me without, yeah, I, I can't think of, I, I know it's happening all the time. I just had a conversation with a CPA in, in Manhattan. Um, she's originally from Moscow. So she worked in the firm's Moscow office. And four years ago, she, she moved to the United States. But, you know, the, the Moscow office had 150 people. And the office here in New York has 2,500 uh, people. So, you know, large CPA firm. And they have other offices around the world. But um, so you want to talk about consequences. You know, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm coaching this, this executive to be, to be more effective. And she says, you know, here in the United States, I, I, I don't, I have to work so much harder to get noticed, right? In my small office of 150 people, you do a good job, you get noticed here. I don't get any feedback. And so I've been working with her to how to get feedback from her partner, one of the partners that, that she reports to and what she needs from that partner for her to feel more engaged and, and effective. But this whole issue of, of fairness of pay came up on, on Friday. And she asked me how to, <laughs> how to handle that because, you know, we, we're not, she goes, you know, we're not supposed to know what other people make, but people talk and word got out. And we have a pay structure that is geared in part to obviously you know, how hard we work with our, with our clients, uh, how, you know, how many hours of billable hours that we have, but also we're, we're measured on how many, how much outside activity we do, you know, networking and, and being on boards and, and, 
you know, memberships and associations and being visible in the community. And she says, I'm doing all that stuff. And this ha- there happens to be another uh, executive that is making quite a bit more than me and doesn't do any of that. And what's happening with this particular executive is that she's putting a lot of energy into the fact that she's not being treated fairly and not focusing on all the, I mean, it's, it's, it's hurting her emotionally. It's hurting her. You know, is there something wrong with me? Am I not, do they not like me? Am I not good enough? Or, you know, do I, does this mean I'm not going to have the same chance for promotion and growth that, that, you know, am I going to be stuck? I mean, all the, remember I told you about this, the, we make up the story in the absence of information. These are all the stories that are going through her head. And so we're working on how she can manage that and, and stay effective and focus on what she can control. But this is an example of a negative consequence that we make by unfairly applying or, or not, not a following our, our standards and processes uh, the same for, for everybody. You know, it's really interesting. That's a great example. Um, I'm coming back to this example that you gave your wife. She has a certain love language and you have a certain love language. And I remember back in the nineties when I was working for IBM, I don't know what they do these days, but back then they did have a realization that not everybody wants to do the management thing in order to make a lot of money. And, and you don't have to be management to be valuable to an organization. And so they actually created two different tracks for people. There was a management track, which you could progress up and your pay level would, would increase as you, as you went up that ladder, but you didn't have to climb the corporate ladder to make a really, really good income because they also had kind of an expert track where you know, if you wanted to be involved in research and development, or, you know, you were, you were a really, really good uh, consultant in the field, but you didn't really want to be a manager. There were ways, if you were a fantastic IT architect, for example, there were ways, you know, they had these dual tracks where you had this management track and this expert track. And so people with different personalities could find ways in the organization to still make a decent amount of money, you know, good compensation and be rewarded for their behavior without feeling pressured. Like, well, if I, if I want to achieve a certain income level, the only way for me to do that is to become part of management. And, and so I, you know, to me, that was a good example of, of structurally, are there ways that we can do things where we can reward people for the value they bring to the organization and recognize their, their love language. I want to be in the lab doing research and I can be very, very well compensated for doing that without having to become the manager of product development. You know, know, that requires that you actually know your people and and have conversations with them regularly. You know, when we did that, the pro scan, the behavioral assessment with you, I don't know if you remember on section four, there is, there's a motivation section that has two pages. And the first page is a list of, of things that are potentially motivating to you. And one is just like overriding needs. And, and some of it is money. Some of it is, you know, just freedom and flexibility. But if you could sit down and have that conversation with somebody and say, Hey, listen, tell me what your top 
for or what, I mean, what is it that you absolutely need? You can then keep that in mind instead of, you know, he's the best or she's the best, uh, it infrastructure. What, what did you just call architecture, <laughs> uh, manager then, you know, well, because they're doing such a good job, we have an opening, let's promote that person. So many times organizations promote a person that then they fail because the skills that it takes to be an effective manager are different than it is to be a, a, a brilliant technician. And so then they don't do a great job. We let them go and we lose them to the organization. If we actually knew their motivation and say, you know, I just want to, I just want to be in this world and be excellent at it so I can go home and play with my kids or do whatever else I want to do. Making a space for that is I think appropriate and, and productive. And I've also found in organizations, particularly in this event space uh, with large events that involve public funding, that compensation structures, which are then because the organizations are relying on public funds, they have to they have to um, they have to follow public uh, employment rules and and the the people in effect become public employees. And so they have to find they have to follow those pay structures. And oftentimes uh, the organizers are not able to find or hire the talent that they want because they are constrained by these compensation structures. And these compensation structures are designed to help organizations minimize their costs by paying a lower amount of money uh, for, for a salary than might be the market rate. In the end, they end up losing money because they don't have the right talent. They, 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 their, their, their hands are tied behind their back and they can't hire the people who are really experienced, who could actually save them a lot of money because they know things, but they don't have the ability to go out and hire them because their compensation structures are, are rigid and they cannot find a good fit. And this is a big problem in the international event space where people rely on public funds. I don't know what the solution is, but I have seen it time and time again, where you've got committees who end up losing tens or hundreds of millions of dollars because the decisions that are being made and implemented are made by inexperienced people. If they would have spent a little bit more money to hire the right people, they probably could have saved tens of hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, this, this is a consequence that happens. Uh, I, I just talked with a, another local CPA who works for a, uh, one of the cities here on the Wasatch front as their, uh, as their accountant, you know, they have a vendor that they're coming up for a contract renewal. And the policy is to just go with the, the lowest bid. And he was telling me, you know, they had, they had three, um, proposals to their RFP, their request for proposal, right? And they went with the lowest bidder who doesn't have the best capabilities. They, they're actually over their head to do the work. And so they're not going to get the best work for the, the, the cheapest money. And so in the long run, that may cost them more. That's another consequence. You know, I, you just made me think of one other thing. And I know we're running out of time. We've only talked about, there, there's so much more to talk about just this issue, but one consequence that happens for uh, some organizations is they maybe they can't pay somebody more. 
this is happening with an organization. I was just coaching an executive director yesterday and, and they have really begun changing their culture for, for the positive, but they've had to undo some of the, uh, some of made some of the decisions they've made in the past. So for example, they, they couldn't give somebody a raise. This is a, a nonprofit, right? So similar issue to a public organization. They can't always pay people what, what they're worth. And so what they want to do is give them other benefits. Like for example, a seat at the executive table, right? So invite them into the meeting. Well, pretty soon you've got a, uh, an executive meeting with, you know, 12 people in it. And it's really hard to get things done or be productive when you have all these different perspectives and, and you, we want to hear them, but the, the meeting becomes like the floor of the Congress, right? It's, you, you really don't get a lot of done, done. People are just, you know, you, you don't get a lot of inquiry. You get a lot of pontification, right? Here's what I think we ought to do, but there's no time to really die digest and dissect what people are proposing because everybody wants to promote their idea on, on the Senate or, or Congress floor. Right. And oh, so when you, what's that? Oh, absolutely. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. So, so the consequence is, is that management process becomes inefficient because we want to give people a seat at the table to make them feel more important. There's other ways to recognize them and let them know that they're important rather than just, you know, um, say, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to, instead of giving you a promotion, you know, we're going to make you feel like you're, you're an executive. There's just so many consequences that we create by, by not, um, under, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Hopefully my story speaks for itself. <laughs> it does speak for itself. I know in this event space, in the Olympic space, this is a constant issue. Uh, you've got, you know, 50 some odd different functional areas, which can roughly equate to departments in an organizing committee. All of them want visibility to the executive. Why do they want this? Because the executive, generally speaking, holds the decision-making power. So these people, in order for them to feel like they have the authority and the budget, you're like <laughs> the money that you said, uh, to do what they to the, to do what they want to do, they feel like they have to be close to the executive. And, and that you, it's not, undue burden on that executive if he allows it or she allows it. That's right. So, so they've got to find ways to actually delegate authority and a bit of autonomy to, to entities that don't report directly to the president of the company or the CEO so that they feel like they are contributing and that they have some freedom to do the things that they know that need to be done right. um, and not have to run to mama or papa every time they need a big decision made. And, and uh, it's a, it's a huge challenge. So I really appreciate bringing them up. You, you mentioned, you mentioned that we're running out of time and we are, cause we both have commitments that we've got to run off and take care of. And Christian, next time, purpose, uh, next time, I, one of the things we got to talk about is how to, how to handle uh, poor behavior. What are, what are the consequences that we're avoiding with, with bad behavior? We, we gave, you know, a couple of examples of, of not addressing, but how do we address them? How do we begin to shift that and create consequences that have positive outcomes to get the results that we want? I think that'd be a good thing for us to talk about next time. I think it's a fantastic idea. And Spencer, you, you've given so much knowledge here. You talked about this team diagnostic. I'm sure listeners want to learn more about this and other ways that you could potentially help them. What's the best way for them to find out more how you might be able to uh, help their help them individually and help their teams. 
Yeah. I mean, if you actually want to get a demo of this diagnostic, I can give you what's called a team leader view version. That's so it's not a true diagnostic, but it's from your position as a leader to take a look at your organization. So you'll go through the assessment, see what it's like and, and go from your perspective. And then if you choose to then open that up to a true team diagnostic, we can do that. But I can, I can provide that. If you want to have that, reach out to me, Spencer at, at Altium Leadership. That's A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. Email me, uh, go to my website, altiumleadership.com. Of course, you can find me on on LinkedIn and and social media. Uh, I'd love to I'd love to chat with you. And and Christian, with all of your great experience here, how do people find you? Well, they can go to my website gp4.com. That's gpfour.com. You can email me at cnapier at gp4.com, or you can reach me on LinkedIn as well. I'm I'm very visible there. Spencer, it was a joy as always to talk with you to learn from you. Listeners, please like and subscribe to our little podcast. We appreciate it. And we'll talk with you again soon. Thank you, Christian. Great to be with you.